Hello again, everyone. I'm Matt Laughlin. Welcome to Pirates Talk. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and iTunes. I invite you to subscribe to Pirates Talk on whichever is your favorite platform. Rate the show, leave a comment. I'd love to hear from you. Today's guest is a familiar voice to Pirates basketball fans. Since 2003, he has teamed with Gary Cohen to form the Seton Hall men's basketball radio team. And a terrific listen he and Gary are. They're tops in their business, and their partnership is one that is as much of Pirates hoops as Coach Kevin Willard and the team. They've been through it all, the highs and the lows, and chronicled it all for their radio audience. It's my pleasure to welcome Dave Popkin to this edition of Pirates Talk. Dave, thanks very much for joining me today. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Matt, always fun hanging out with you. Strange year, to say the least, in oh so many ways. Uh, As we record this, Seton Hall is about to open up tomorrow. We're talking on Thursday, December 10th. On the 11th, they're opening up against St. John's at 4.30 in the afternoon. It was supposed to be DePaul, but everything changed. I guess you have to be ready for anything this year, don't you? It's like uh, the Twilight Zone. Uh, I don't know. It's it's a strange, strange season. I'm I'm happy and uh, surprised we've gotten six games in in the last two weeks. I think that alone is a victory because some of these uh, schools haven't played yet, or they've played one game, and it's it's not apples to apples comparing comparing schools right now. So uh, it's strange. I think Seton Hall. You never want to get COVID, but they may have gotten to the right time before the season even started because then they were able to kind of start fresh and uh, and get some games under their belt before Big East play started because that's really what, what Kevin Willard and the players really care about, you know, what they do in the league. And Kevin, as he relayed to you and to Gary on the postgame show the other night, said he learned an awful lot, he and Tony Testa, the trainer, about the procedures, the protocols that are necessary, uh, having traveled, gone into hotels, gone into mini bubbles there, because once they checked in, basically it was the Hotel California. You could you could check in, but you couldn't leave, not even for a cup of coffee. So yes, they will be well suited uh, down the road. Uh, what are some of the, what are some of the challenges that have been presented by COVID for you on the broadcast side? Everything is new. Uh, everything that we used to just show up and and do by rote. We've had to rethink. Uh, we've had to do some of the road games from the WSOU studios and then send that signal to AM 970, and, and then it goes out on the stream from there. Um, so we, Learfield IMG, you know, bought us a big TV, and, and it's just Gary and me in, in a room. And, you know, the stream went out the other night uh, during the Penn State game in the first half. So Gary did an incredible job improvising. Like they had a tablet that they just handed us on the fly. And even though it wasn't totally synced up to what we were watching on TV, he was able to pick it up and start to call it again. And uh, I was actually doing blind color at one point. Um, I didn't have the tablet up yet. <laughs> and and he, he called a, he called the play, you know, as Shavard Reynolds drives and, you know, Seton Hall takes a two-point lead. I'd be like, wow, Reynolds has 10 points. What a shot. And, you know, I got to admit that I didn't see the play. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a little bit of that going on uh, for a good 10 minutes um, during that game. But by and large, uh, it's been fine. And uh, it's kind of like riding a bike. But we have had, you know, different concerns. Like, can we get Nat sound? 
natural sound from the site so we can hear the sneakers squeaking and the and the bas- the ball hitting the basket so that it doesn't sound like we're sitting in a room. Uh, there's all that stuff to think about that you never had to think about uh, before. And then it's just the oddity of being in an empty arena. Uh, we went up to Rhode Island. We were the only media members in the building. I, I think besides the players and the coaches and the officials, there might have been like 10 other people in the building. Um, and then, you know, we're doing the games from Prudential Center and it's pretty empty. It's Father John and the bus driver, you know, sitting in the stands. <laughs> so it's uh, it's a little odd, but we're we're happy for the kids that they get to play. And I'm just happy to have the creative outlet and, and to be back, you know, with the team doing something because I hadn't done a game in eight months. Oh, listen, I cannot wait for hockey to return. And we don't have a date as of this moment, but there's all sorts of rumors that it will be in the middle of January. And I can't wait because, you know, that this is what we do and we love being in the arena, but it is going to be a different way of broadcasting. So what's it like to call a game off a monitor? I had only done it once before. Uh, Seton Hall played in Italy two years ago, and I actually flew to Austin, Texas to Flow Sports to do their game against some Italian club team uh, off a monitor. So I, I, I got baptism by fire on that. It was it was actually very difficult uh, in that circumstance because it was only three cameras and it was just kind of local guys in Pisa doing <laughs> doing uh, you know the Seton Hall game. So we didn't have great replays or graphics or anything like that. Doing it off of you know Big Ten Network or FS1 or CBS Sports Network is is a little easier because you have five or six cameras and um, they're popping up graphics and, and they're generally not missing things. You know, they're not missing baskets and, and things like that, but there's a lot that goes on um, particularly with basketball where you kind of need to be there and you kind of need to be courtside. Uh, Like the other night, uh, Sandro and Chase Freeman uh, got into that uh, semi altercation where they were both ejected from the game and we were texting with people that, you know, were, were down at courtside, um, sports information, things like that, just to try to figure out what's going on. Because usually the officials would come over and just tell us, you know, where I could walk over to the official score and I'd ask him while, while Gary's on the air. And we'd know in 20 seconds, you know, what just happened. Instead, there's a delay. Um, so that's going to happen. Um, but it's better than not having the games on. It's better than not having the games be played. So there are certainly uh, challenges. Um, you know, and just energy, you know, being able to to sit in an empty room or an empty arena and generate the same energy that we would have had if there were 10,000 people there. Uh, that requires uh, a different level of, of concentration and acting almost um, to to make it, you know, enjoyable for the audience. Having listened to you and Gary this year, and I'll be honest, I watch, I listen, I switch over to SOU to see how the students are doing, but I I have spent a lot of time listening to both of you, and you would not know that you're either not at the game or that there's a different way of broadcasting because it sounds terrific, and that's what people have come to expect from your broadcast uh, because it's, it's so good, it's so professional, it's so much a part of what Seton Hall basketball is all about. But I was at the game as well against Wagner. I did not go to the Iona game uh, for a variety of reasons. And, you know, but I, I dipped my toe into the water, so to speak, uh, in the Wagner game. And boy, no fans is strange. It was the first time I've been at a game where there were no fans. As you said, just a handful of people in the stands all involved in 
game day operations or Seton Hall operations or whatever. And there were moments, whether it was a Jared Roden jam or an Ike Obiagu block or a series of plays where Seton Hall would go on a run. And maybe on on a normal Wagner game, there wouldn't be as many people as a Villanova game. I get that. But there'd be some excitement. And instead, it it was just there. I'm... I'm interested to see how it'll be for me when I get behind the microphone in an empty building. So how do you generate that enthusiasm? How much is that natural sound, if you can get it, how much does that help? It does help. Uh, and I think it helps the players, too. Um, I, I, I don't know about the players, but for me, um, let's say I'm at a home game at Prudential Center. Uh, there's stuff that goes on in the arena. And I have no idea. My wife will be there to be, oh, did you see the flag man fell down or, uh, you know, the cheerleader fell off the top of the pyramid or blah, blah, blah. No, I have <laughs> no idea. Like, I have no idea what's going on in the arena because I'm t- trying to concentrate on the game and, and what the next, you know, commercial read that I have to do or, you know, planning for the highlights for the postgame show. Sometimes, you know, like the Penn State game, we did 27 highlights in the postgame show. So I'm talking to the uh, board op in the break, uh, we're busy, you know? So, so a lot of times <laughs> I'm working like, I don't here. Really even know, you know, yeah. I, I don't know what's going on in the crowd and I don't know what they're doing. So I'm, I'm just excited about the game. Like I concentrate on the, on the players and for them, I think it's probably like a, a playground game or an AAU game where there's, there's not a lot of people there and they're playing for pride and, and they're just playing to, to score and to win. Um, so I just try to get into that mentality and, and not let the rest of it affect me. But that being said, uh, I think that the job that Seton Hall is doing uh, by having Tim McClune there as the PA announcer and having some stuff on the video board and the cutout fans and some crowd noise and stuff like that, I think that helps, uh, you know, bring some normalcy to it and, you know, gets the players a little excited. They do like the pumped up warm up still before the game, even though there's no fans there just to give you a little bit of home court advantage. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about, before we delve into this team and this season, let's just talk a little bit about your partnership with Gary. It goes back to 2003. How did it all come about? It's actually a funny story. Um, I was doing marketing for Seton Hall Athletics through a company called Positive Impact. Michael Rowe and Jim Lamparello, two Seton Hall alums. Jimmy, you know very well, he's in the Seton Hall Athletic Hall of Fame. He helped get uh, Seton Hall into the Big East with Richie Regan. Um, he used to be a sports info guy. They, they were my bosses at this company called Positive Impact, later Positive Impact Partners. And we did a lot of the functions that the athletic department now does for themselves. You know, we sold group tickets. We were doing their ads. We sold some sponsorships um, because it was a smaller operation 18, 20 years ago. Um, and then I got to know everybody, you know, Keith Myers and some of the folks, you know, Jeff Fogelson the athletic director, uh, some of the people at Seton Hall. And they knew that I was doing broadcasting at the time. I was doing NEC and Atlantic 10 games. And I had showed Keith uh, my highlight reel. It had Tim Capstraw on it. Um, and Tim and I were just kind of, you know, debating like an end of game situation at a monitor. And I had shown it to Keith. Um, and when he was making a, a change, you know, to, to, uh, move on from Warner Fusell, who was amazing, by the way. I thought he did a a great job for Seton Hall for like 10 years. I was a fan of his work. Um, Keith was going to bring in a a high-profile play-by-play person. I said, you know, okay, makes sense, you know, and he hired Gary for that, and 
um, actually right before he hired Gary, he hired me to do color because he said, I want to have somebody that can fill in and do play by play. that can do interviews that can do the commercials because Warner did the whole thing himself and he would get tired at the end of games. He would get tired at the end of the season. And he said, I want, I want two guys sitting on a couch talking about basketball, you know, and I, and I don't want the announcer to get tired by the end of the game because basketball's a lot. So, you know, I think that you can do color based on watching your tape and, you know, I'm going to go for, for this Gary Cohen <laughs> to be the, to be the play-by-play announcer. And I said, well, he's the best. That's a good choice. <laughs> you know, And, and yes, I'll do it. So uh, it was kind of a happy accident. Uh, I was thrown into it. Um, I think there wasn't a Seton Hall, like ex player at the time that was like a natural, you know, to, to jump right into that, that it had any, any experience. And Gary and I clicked right away. Uh, it was, uh, we have the same sensibilities, you know, in terms of, you know, what goes into a broadcast, what the audience needs to know, um, you know, being a little bit irreverent, but reverent at the same time to be um, concentrating on the details of the game. And um, I, I think it's, it's been a good fit. You know, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, it's been a luxury uh, learning from him. And um, I, I, I just try to literally color in the lines you know he's drawing the lines uh, i have a sports broadcast camp that we do and i say that you know the play-by-play announcer says what and who and then the color announcer says why and and, and provides a little bit of color um so i try to you know inject some humor and um you know some nuggets that um he doesn't give you know as part of the play-by-play and and i think it's worked it has worked. There's no question about it. I, I find it interesting that it clicked right from the get-go. I shouldn't be surprised, but that's not often the case. Sometimes, you know, it's two people. It's it's like dating. You got to get to know each other a little bit, the ins and the outs and, and things like that. But it was very smooth from the beginning, you say. It, it was. And it was... Um... Radio is so different from TV. I, I had been doing a lot of TV at the time. And the announcers on TV, if you listen, they'll, they'll speak about 50% of the time each because you can see it. And radio is the opposite. You know, the play-by-play announcer has to talk 80 or 85% of the time because otherwise you have no idea what's going on in the game. So that, that part was an adjustment and I had to really learn to be concise. You know, I would want to talk after, you know, every couple of plays, every play or two, but sometimes, you know, like if Angel Delgado goes up for a rebound and, you know, clears it out to Carrington, you know, I might just jump in and say, Delgado, ferocious, and I'm out, <laughs> you know, because the ball's being rushed up the court and I don't want to step on the next play. So, but I also want to, um, it, it helps, you know, this as a radio announcer, it gives the listener a reset if they're not listening to the same voice a hundred percent of the time, you know, they, they say, okay, he jumped in and said this, and then it's subconscious. Like you're able to concentrate on the next play better if the color person has just interrupted by saying whatever, you know, giving how many points they have or uh, why that play happened, you know, uh, pick and pop, whatever the play was. Um, it allows the listener to just refocus, especially if you're listening to the whole game, which many people don't do. Um, it's just, it's it's a mental thing. I agree, and I think as you said, Warner Fusell did a terrific job, but working by yourself, it's just not fair. I don't think 
to the person who's doing it, although there are some people in this business who don't want anybody else in the booth with them. They're just happy to do it by themselves. But I, I think it's a disservice to the audience as well. You, you just need to break it up. It can't be the same voice, the same cadence, so on and so forth. So it, it's terrific that the two of you have that opportunity to work together and have for a long time. So how have things changed over the years? Once you guys got together, it was a switch from Warner Fusell, and now this partnership grows. You've been through the highs, the lows, the ups. It's been more ups lately, of course. So what changes have you seen, whether it's in recognition or the program? Huge changes, really. Um, Just the expectation that Seton Hall will be in the NCAA tournament every year, and that's due to Kevin Willard and his staff and recruiting not only good players, but good people. Um, I was commenting to somebody the other day that you just never knew what was going to happen when you showed up at the arena. You know, who was driving the wrong way down the Garden State Parkway and who was, you know, out too late and broke curfew and is suspended for the game. And, and, And that happened for a number of years, you know, with multiple coaches. And that doesn't really happen, knock on wood, with Kevin and his players because they're buttoned up. Uh, There's a lot of really good people in that locker room. Last year's team uh, was my favorite team that we've ever covered in terms of just uh, the players being really good with the media, really good with the fans, with each other. You know, there weren't a lot of egos. Um, Miles Powell was a good leader for these guys, and Sandro has has learned from that, and he's taken up that mantle, you know, along with Jared Roden and Miles Kale and and the other veterans, you know, like Shavar Reynolds. So, that's been the big difference, like the expectation that the team is going to be good. You know, the team could be ranked every year, which was not the case for 10 or 15 years. And, you know, just the fact that they're easy to be around, you know, whether we're in the airport or, um, you know, on the bus with them or, or whatever the situation is, they're good guys. You know, I can sit there and have a conversation with Sandro. I can loan a book to Romaro Gill um, whatever the situation is, like these guys are, it's just easier. Winning, of course, is a great tonic as well, but it's more important for a college, particularly for a university, that the people who are winning games represent them well. And there's no doubt that under Kevin Willard, that has been the case. Do you get to know the players well? Not as well as I would like. Uh, when we would have the um, open practice and uh, media availability early in the year, which we obviously didn't have this year because of COVID, I'd have a little bit of chance to to talk with the guys more. Um, but yeah, I mean, sometimes I'll end up, you know, sitting next to somebody on the plane or, um, you know, as we're waiting for whatever the next mode of transportation is and, you know, chit chat with them about, about their classes or um, upcoming game or whatever. Um, it, it's not like, baseball where you're in the clubhouse every day you're at the batting cage every day uh, you get to know the guys a little bit better the season is longer um basketball is a little bit more uh compact and and regimented so you know not as well as we would like but you know i i've certainly gotten to meet you know all the guys so tell me about miles powell oh miles powell had every excuse to have a chip on his shoulder in a bad way, you know, coming out of, uh, Trenton, obviously his issues, you know, with his brother, like you name it, like he's, he, he did not come from, you know, he didn't have a silver spoon in his mouth. And the guy was a prince 
I mean, he was so good with kids, with fans, uh, with his own teammates, um, you know, nurturing the freshmen, um, leading by example. I mean, hard worker. Um, I mean, did he have a little bit of an edge and, and think that he was the best player? Yes, but he was, <laughs> you know, so and and you need to have that drive, you know, but that said, it, it was channeled, you know, and he was he was a good dude. And I, I really am happy that he's gotten the opportunity with uh, the Knicks and, and hope that he makes the team. And if not, it uh, looks like the Knicks are one of the teams that's opted to have a G League team this year. Um, so he, I'm sure, get an opportunity to play there and score 20 or 30 points a game in the G League. I mean, he'll tear that up if that is, uh, is if that's where they send him. But uh, hopefully, he gets a chance. You know, in the Garden, he's always played well in the Garden, and um, I, I was, I was shocked. Miles had as good a senior year as he did, considering all of the injuries, and he did not make excuses, and he did not. Um, he just he just stuck it out. I mean, the, the kid had a concussion. He had a knee problem, and he went out there and he played, and he played hard, and he you know he led this team to over twenty wins, and they would have been a, a high seed in the NCAA tournament, and he was not one hundred percent. And did that hurt his draft chances? I think it did. Um, but he was selfless, and he wanted to win, and he really valued Seton Hall as a community, his Seton Hall education, you know, getting a diploma. Um, so he's an easy guy to root for. One of the things on the radio side that is must listen, aside from the baskets and what have you, is your post-game interview with Kevin Willard. How much fun is that? It, it's fun because it's a wild card. You know, you really don't know what he's going to say, how long he wants to stay on. Uh, we've had some late night shows with him that have gone 15 or 20 minutes, you know, and it's supposed to be five or 10 and he just hangs and he talks about the game and talks about whatever. And he's got obviously a, a good sense of humor, kind of an acerbic wit. And, um, you know, there's some games where he's a little tense, you know, and there are most of the games, you know, he's very open and he is, uh, very, you know, accessible to us. You know, if we need to, to come to practice or, you know, he, he does the interview himself pregame and postgame, which not all the coaches do. Um, I think he wants to um, obviously be the spokesperson for the program and the, and that's good uh, for the program. And it's, uh, it's interesting. You know, it really is like we, uh, we dive in and we, we ask him what needs to be asked. And um, I, I don't think that we, we soft pedal it at all, especially now when, um, you know, some road games, he's not doing zooms with regular media, like print media, TV, et cetera, um, after the game. So our audio with him, our interview is, is all there is, you know, in terms of his reaction after the game, unless he calls a reporter directly or things like that. So, you know, we, we try to cover all the bases and just give him a forum to, uh, say what he wants to say you know, after the games and, uh, you know, by and large, it's been, it's been fun and, and positive. So what do you make of this edition of Seton Hall? You know, coming in, I actually thought this team was going to be better than last year's team, uh, because of, uh, length and athleticism, um, and potentially depth, but we're not really seeing the depth right now. Uh, we, we did see, you know, last couple games, 
more guys step up and you know provide scoring options behind Sandro, which um, is one of the reasons why I thought the team would be as good or better. Like last year, you know, the team could get one dimensional if Miles was scoring 27 points and, you know, somebody else had, you know, Quincy McKnight had 14 and then all of a sudden, you know, there's, there's a drop off and, and you hope that, you know, it's not a five for 25 game for Miles. It's a, it's a 13 for 25 game uh, for Miles. I think this team, you know, you could have a different guy every night, like Obiagu stepped up, had a career high his last game and Roden had a double double in his last game. And, and I think that it kind of makes it more fail safe where, okay, one guy doesn't have it in a particular game, you know, Sandro gets, you know, ejected from the last game. There's three other guys that stepped up and scored. Um, so I like this team a lot. You know, I mean, if they can, Obiago is a huge key. You know, if he can rebound more, if he can stay out of foul trouble, he gives you that gill factor in the middle where he had eight block shots the last game. Now I get that it's Wagner and it's not going to happen every game, but he's averaging like over three blocks a game in limited minutes. If he gets his conditioning up and can stay out of foul trouble, the guy's going to block like five shots a game, which, you know, means he's altering another five or 10. You know, once you, once you get five shots blocked, you're not going to drive down the lane. So it limits what you can do as the opponent offensively. Then you're reliant on three-point shots. You know, Seton Hall hasn't guarded the three particularly well early in the year, but they haven't had a lot of practice either. So I like the team. I like that there are uh, multiple scoring options. And I love what Shavar Reynolds has done. You know, you can't really count on Bryce Aiken's health right now. He's probably still a couple weeks away. And Reynolds has stepped in, and he never really played major minutes. And he's filling the stat sheet. You know, in a game, he might have five rebounds or seven assists. and in addition to scoring like double digit points and not turning the ball over. So there's a lot to like about this team. I think that they're just, you know, they got off to a slow start. They're kind of finding themselves. Shavar Reynolds is a superb story. Walk on becomes a scholarship player. and Here he is, as you said, now playing major minutes and we'll have to do so for quite some time. He's going to play important minutes, but now he's playing, almost all the minutes there at the point guard spot. What's missing with Bryce Aiken's absence? I think another scorer and a point guard that is, you know, really creative. You know, somebody's going to penetrate and kick. Like you saw it from Reynolds uh, at the end of the Penn State game. He had three straight assists where he's able to get penetration, you know, like a Colin Gillespie on Villanova, um, where you get into the lane and then you make a decision. And he made three straight good decisions at the end of regulation and in overtime where he set somebody else up for an easy layup. Um, he had been more tentative and not penetrating as much as a point guard, in my opinion, early in the year. You know, the first four or five games, um, he was just kind of, out there and running the offense and not turning the ball over that much, which is, is fine. But this team, I think really needs a setup man like that. And you've seen Molson be able to do it at times, you know, and, and fill that void. We haven't seen much from Jahari long, the freshman in terms of being able to do that yet. He still looks a little green. So what you, you lose a veteran guy, you lose somebody that could score 20 points a game and you lose you know, that creativeness with, with the passing. Um, but, you know, generally when this team passes the ball collectively, not just with a point guard, they're really good because they can get open looks and Reynolds can knock down an open three. So can Roden, so can Sandro. 
Um, so can Samuel. Um, so, you know, if they just move the ball, um, they don't necessarily um, need Aiken in there 30 minutes a game creating. You know, they can they can create collectively. And what will be interesting to see is the development of the personalities. This is absolutely no knock on Miles Powell, but when you are as good as he is and everything rotates around you, the other players, even though, and I use this term all the time, they're all alpha dogs, but there's the king of the pack, and that was him last year for sure. And now these guys have to step up, and I know Kevin mentioned it uh, the other day, and in, in fact, uh, on your post-game show, that you know he had a conversation with Sandro and said, hey, listen, you're the man. I think you're one of the best players. You got to show it every night. And sometimes it takes a while for guys to do that. But as those personalities develop, as that confidence develops, like, okay, I'm going to take it. Like their roles are so different this year. Uh, Losing three important cogs certainly would change everybody's role. But now as you start to play, guys start to say, hey, I can do this. I can do that. That's what he's going to do. He's going to be open. He'll make this shot. I'll go here. And it's going to be a fun watch to see this develop. I agree. And, and I think Sandro can be, uh, I mean, Kevin said he's the best player in the country. I don't know about that, but I think that um, if you look at it realistically right now, in terms of his skill set and who can guard him, you know, just driving by people, stepping out for threes, um, open floor, handling with both hands, shooting with both hands. I mean, the guy is really skilled and, and he's got a little bit of an edge, you know, as you saw in the Wagner game. So, I mean, Jeremiah Robinson Earl with Villanova, Dawson Garcia from Marquette. There aren't many other, you know, big skilled guys in the big East that can hang with Sandro. So as, as long as he can recognize that and and channel that and continue to take good shots. I mean, not only is he going to be a first team player, but he'll be a candidate for player of the year. Well, it's an exciting season. It's underway. The Big East for Seton Hall begins uh, tomorrow as we record this against St. John's. Uh, What are you expecting this year from the Hall? Where do they fit in? Yeah, they were picked fifth, and I think they might be a little bit better than that. And if you're better than fifth in the Big East, you're going to make the NCAA tournament. So I've thought since March, you know, that this year's team uh, is a tournament team. You know, they, they play good defense. Um, they're going to score. You know, they're going to score 80 points a game because there are so many options uh, on the floor. Um, you know, are, are there a handful of Big East teams? Like Creighton's better. Um, Villanova is good. Uh, they might be better. But other than that, I don't think you could say that there are any Big East teams that are better than Seton Hall. You know, I mean, they're comparable with uh, Marquette. Uh, they're comparable with a couple of these teams, but, you know, I've seen everybody at this point and I think Seton Hall's in the top third. You know, I re I really do, even though they've gotten off the slow starts in games and they had a couple of, you know, close calls like Louisville and Rhode Island could have gone either way. You know, I feel in the, in the win, win and loss column, uh, I think they're going to have a good year. I mean, I think they will be over 500 in the league and, you know, certainly in the top half. Dave, looking forward to hearing you and Gary the rest of the way. Thanks so much for your time. Matt, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. We recorded this program on Thursday, December 10th. The Pirates will open their Big East season on December 11th against St. John's. Originally, the Hall was set to open against DePaul, 
but a COVID breakout forced the Blue Demons to pause their basketball activities and force the change in schedule. And there will be many more changes before the season is over. It's a time of uncertainty, but one thing is without doubt, that whenever the Pirates take the court, Dave Popkin and Gary Cohen will take us through the game. And that's a comforting feeling. As an aside, and as a proud WSOU alumnus, I'd encourage you all to take a listen to an SOU broadcast from time to time. Yes, listen to Gary and Dave, but turn your attention away for a moment and listen to the young students as they work their craft. They're doing a wonderful job through all of this, and I'm proud of the work they do. SOU keeps producing some outstanding talent. Special thanks, as always, to Pat Christensen, the sound engineer of the show, and the writer and performer of the Pirates Talk theme. And thanks, as always, to you for your company. It's very much appreciated. Until next time, I'm Matt Laughlin. Stay safe, stay healthy, and let's go Pirates!